We're trying to do a lot of things that do require more manual lift up front, but we're kind of playing the long-term game. And now ubiquitous saying of do things that won't scale. Like, what does that actually mean? It's like really fun and catchy to say that, but like behind the scenes, what does that mean? For us, for instance, we have a trigger where if someone spends on their first purchase, like it's 3X or standard AOV, we'll reach out on a personal level. So it's like, hey, customer X, saw you're in Columbus. No way, we ship from here. It's just a way to feel a little bit more engaged on a one-to-one basis. And what that's allowed us to do is to create a pretty engaged community of a few thousand customers on email. The old saying goes that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And while that's not literally true, when it comes to marketing, men and women can seem like two different species. What resonates with a man is wildly different than what resonates with a woman. For instance, I love a good ingredients list and could care less about how much lather I get from my body wash. However, a lot of men apparently feel the exact opposite. These are the kinds of things that all businesses need to think of when it comes to targeting and sending the right message. And it's a topic I went deep on in this episode of Up Next in Commerce with Matt Mullinax, the co-founder and CEO of Huron. Matt talked me through all the ways he had to test, poll, and iterate on his advertising to get his men's body care brand off the ground. But when he found the right formula, all of a sudden it was like striking gold. We're talking crazy click-through rates, plummeting CPAs, and a direct line into the messaging that men were aligned with. Do you want to know what it is? And are you interested in what other heavy lifts Matt is working on now for long-term payoffs? Find out in this episode. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. Hello and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. And today I'm excited to have Matt Mullinex on the show, the CEO of Huron. Matt, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Stephanie. Look forward to it. Yeah, same. I'm very excited because I'm looking through your background and it's bringing back fond memories of my own background within finance and being an analyst. And I was hoping we could kind of start there. Tell me about your career path before founding Huron. Sure. So uh, even before that, so originally from Ohio, so from the Midwest, um, went to school at Brown University and then graduated in 2008, which turns out wasn't the best time to kick off a career in finance, yep. but ended up moving to New York, uh, worked for a big investment bank there and quickly learned that maybe that wasn't my cup of tea. So spent 
a little under eight months, I guess, as an analyst, mm-hmm. and then left to be an early employee at Bonobos. Cool. So spent two about two years there as kind of employee six. Wow. Everything from sales and inventory reports to other forms of analysis to literally packing pants and boxes for six hours a day and sprinting to FedEx before it closed. So it was a, it was a very hands-on approach um, and kind of what was the 0.0 days of D2C. So yeah. that was an incredible experience for me. Just spent a few years at Bonobos and then actually moved to Chicago where I got back into finance. So spent two plus years at an investment bank in Chicago on the M&A team and then spent three years at a consumer growth equity fund. So investing in consumer brands like Bonobos, so kind of the first institutional check-in, very operationally focused, mm-hmm. um, which was really cool for me. It wasn't just kind of you know, uh, locking yourself in a, a corner office and chimeling on Excel all day. Yeah. I was actually like thinking about channel strategy and growth opportunities. So that for a few years, then went out West to Stanford for business school and then started here on after graduation in 2017. Wow. So when you were working at the investment firm, I feel like you probably saw a lot of like trends and, you know, like, oh, if I build a business, I should do this and not that. Like, what kind of things were you learning and did you actually implement them when starting here on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think from a professional vantage point, there were a lot of points of inspiration mm-hmm. behind Huron. I mean, I think for me, you know, one of the themes at uh, at the private equity firm where I worked at was this notion in and around clean beauty. So we had looked at a ton of traditional beauty brands that were catering to the female consumer. And I was just blown away by the amazing and compelling founder stories, great packaging, amazing product, loyalist consumers. And the disconnect for me was I was a 25-year-old that was still buying neon green body wash from CVS, right? So that was a little bit of kind of professional inspiration to say, there's so much happening in this market and the white space for guys in particular is just massive. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was definitely something that I kind of had earmarked in my head as like, this is a category that would be super interesting to come back to. Cool. Okay. So then you went to Stanford, were you building up the business plan there or did, you know, your moment of like, oh, I want to found this company. Did that not come until after graduating? Yeah, it definitely came in the later stages. I mean, I think for me, you know, prior to going to business school, all of my career was kind of focused in and around the consumer and retail sphere, which was the most exciting for me mm-hmm. uh, from a category standpoint. And I think that thesis held true going into business school, which was I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial at some point in the consumer spectrum, but I just wasn't sure when, where, and how. In between my first two years of school, I actually interned at Nike uh, with a thought there of, you know, I hadn't spent time in a kind of big co-consumer realm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure that I would love it necessarily, but my thesis was if I wouldn't enjoy it at my favorite brand, then I probably wouldn't enjoy it anywhere. And the thesis held true. I was not maybe the the biggest fan of working in the corporate world, but it was great exposure and a really good learning point. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, kind of towards the tail end of my experience at Stanford, that's when I really started to dig in and kind of better understand what does this emerging kind of broader men's grooming, wellness, personal care landscape look like? Mm-hmm. Who are the players? What's the consumer psyche? What's the consumer tendencies, purchasing behavior, buying behavior, and really started to dig in there. Um, so that's when I kind of got started. Cool. Okay. So what was the original plan around Huron? Like what was the initial product idea? And then is it different today? So the original kind of product thesis, and honestly, like the other half of the spectrum, aside from kind of the professional interest and you know, that was kind of uh, gained or accumulated while working in private equity is there's a, there's a personal side of the coin, which is just the fact that I was the kid that grew up with bad skin, mm-hmm. right? So I had tried more pads and creams and lotions and potions than probably anyone should probably uh, attempt to try in a lifetime. Yeah. And really nothing worked. And when I was out West for, for grad school, I had 
I, I would say stumbled into a prestige skincare store, but I had literally scouted out the store for three straight days because the entirety of the exterior was glass. And I was terrified that someone would see me in the store. Mm-hmm. So I literally went like, as soon as they opened, then I was sure like no one would be passing by. I ran in, I bought a tiny bottle of face wash that was glass for $108. And I sprinted out. Whoa. But yeah. I know. <laughs> I was like, and, and that like forever, like laser etched in my brain. Yeah. Buyer's remorse ever since that day. <laughs> yeah. But the product worked. Okay. That was like the early kind of light bulb moment, which was, could you replicate the efficacy, the clean technology, the minimal packaging, whatever it was, and bring it down to an audience that either A, wasn't really sure what to do in the bathroom or B, was starting to care, but didn't really know where to start. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the, the early thesis, kind of creating A++ type caliber products and delivering those to guys who might be autopilot shoppers at CVS or Walgreens, but couldn't actually tell you why or how they appreciated the products they were buying. So from there, I ended up doing a bunch of like survey work and we actually launched a fake brand in January of 2018 to kind of further collect these data points to test out, you know, was all natural better positioning versus vegan versus clean. Um, And we tested a bunch of markets that otherwise would be viewed as kind of flyover states or or cities. Mm -hmm. So Columbus and Cincinnati, where I'm from, Chicago, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Charlotte. And the data points we collected were just incredibly informative to to really give us a sense that this was something worth pursuing. So how are you going about testing in those markets? Like what kind of things were you doing to see if it would be received well? Yeah, uh, it was largely around copy. So we, we just Google imaged a bunch of like what we thought were like, were more like masculine leaning images. I mean, it, it was like a hilarious exercise more than anything, but for us, it was the copy and the messaging. Mm-hmm. Was there a better click-through rate in and around clean versus natural or natural versus organic? Because my thought was that would substantially impact what the cost components would look like on the formulation development process side, but also the retail pricing, mm-hmm. right? And our goal again was to provide this really high quality product, but at a price point that uh, you know, wasn't offensive to folks who were still kind of buying those, those mass incumbent product lines. Yeah. So, I mean, as a woman, the product's amazing. It's in my shower and also the guy I've been dating. He's also been using it every day. Loves it. I don't think he'll ever stop using it at this point. But when I think about selling to men, like what's important to them, like, I mean, what kind of things did you see resonating with them? Because I mean, you can tell it's high quality. The packaging is amazing. I love that there's nothing bad in it, but how do you kind of sell that to men and show them that, you know, this is the product that you're actually using versus your old spice or whatever people use these days. Yeah, sure. I think it's been a really interesting learning on that front. I would say for the first six to nine months post-launch, we were really talking about the products, right? It was hundred percent vegan body wash or certified cruelty-free or free of this laundry list of chemicals. And we just really weren't hitting the mark. I didn't feel like, I mean, obviously we were, we were growing and scaling, which was exciting, but I didn't think we had quite channeled that explosive growth yet. And then we just started touching around sensory and sensorial elements that we thought would resonate with our base. So we came up with literally a very hard hitting. We just said on across a series of assets, we just wrote the internet's best smell. And all of a sudden like click through rates and, you know, skyrocketed CPAs plummeted. And we're like, at the end of the day, like a lot of these consumers want something that obviously works, but they want to smell good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard to smell on a screen. Um, so we had to be kind of championing of all of the hard work that we had done on the fragrance development side, for instance. So that was a really interesting learning. And then we just said like, okay, it turns out like we might need to be a little bit more clickbaity, but we didn't feel like 
the change in voice was that strong of a deviation from like who we were as a brand and our brand voice anyways, Mm -hmm. right? We're very relatable, very down to earth. So thinking about like what other ways we could channel that intrigue without sounding like a used car salesman necessarily, but resonating with someone in a very short finite period of time, because we know attention spans digitally aren't that great. So how can you kind of lure these eyeballs in pretty quickly? Yeah. I think that's so interesting thinking about how to market to men and what's important to them, because some of the things that resonate with them. I'm like, that is not something I think is, you know, I'd be looking for. Like, I love the ingredient list. And there was a, another wash that talked about like the most, like it lathered up more than anything else. And I was like, is that something I care about? I don't know. I guess men want to be really well lathered, but I don't really care about that. Car wash-esque lather is another one um, (laughs) that was like resonating crazy well. So look, it's kind of funny. It's tongue in cheek. It's inviting. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that we've learned is there's so many personas out there that we can cater to because, you know, the degree and the product quality and the formulation, um, we kind of let those things now kind of speak for themselves mm-hmm. so that it's almost a way to attract someone to the brand first. And then once they receive the product, they're like, holy cow, this stuff's actually really, really good. And I actually really like it. We're yeah. just championing like how great the products are um, because customers can kind of see through that pretty easily. Yeah, I agree. So in the early days of starting the company, what kind of things did you do to try and get the word out to new customers and what worked and what didn't work? Yeah, good question. Um, I think the first thing that we did was we we tried to manufacture a bit of an email capture list. Mm-hmm. And tactically what that looked like is I, I literally downloaded every single one of my Gmail contacts, like literally anyone that I had ever emailed since 2008. Gosh. Um, I got a lot of interesting responses being like, who the expletive are you? And like, don't email me ever again. Hey, you got to start somewhere, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I was like, cool. Like, yeah, no, definitely won't. But we asked like, hey, you know, we're building this thing. We'd appreciate if you would forward to a friend or a buddy or whomever. Um, and I would say that that was a, that was a good way to start, but we weren't seeing like the hundreds of thousands of email captures, like maybe some of our predecessor brands did early on. So when we launched, we definitely had an audience of sorts, but it was, you know, we weren't launching to a quarter of a million people necessarily. And I think if we were to go back and do this journey again, while, you know, product is probably still number one, like I think we would bump up that exercise in and around community building Mm -hmm. and audience building and content creation and reallocating more of the time into those buckets so that when you launch, you are launching to a pretty broad and widespread audience. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of email capture early on. We ran some early paid stuff to try and again, kind of grab emails, but you know, I think a more dedicated and thoughtful push and figuring out how we can leverage maybe certain folks with audiences that we had access to. I think we kind of uh, underplayed that a little bit, mm-hmm. just figuring out cheat codes that we felt, you know, that we had in our back pocket that, that we kind of leverage a bit. But, but again, like I, I would say that we probably could have allocated more time and energy to that. Yeah. So when it comes to building up community, like what are you finding success with right now or, you know, new avenues to connect with people and actually keep them, you know, in your circle, what's working? You know, one of the the narratives that we have is around this growing importance of the humanization of brand mm-hmm. is what we like to call it. So, you know, Bonobo's 0.0, people were really drawn to the novelty of buying things online, yeah. right? It, it was, in 2008, it was like very new to go buy four pairs of chinos. Yeah, I think as the D2C world has evolved, the consumer has certainly gotten smarter. So a lot of things that were points of difference are now kind of table stakes, you know, product quality being one of them, I still believe like there's still a point of differentiation to be had there, but 
your stuff has to be good or else people won't mm-hmm. come back. But to kind of circle back on humanization of brand, we're trying to do a lot of things that do require more manual lift up front, but we're kind of playing the long-term game. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the now like ubiquitous saying of like, do things that won't scale. Yeah. Like, what does that actually mean? Right. It's like really fun and catchy to say that, but like behind the scenes, what does that mean? Like for us, for instance, you know, we have a trigger where if someone spends on their first purchase, like I think it's three X, mm-hmm. like our standard AOV, mm-hmm. like we'll reach out on a personal level. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Hey, customer X, like saw you're in Columbus, like no way. Like we ship from here. And like, I'm actually from here. Like the weather in New York's crazy. Like hope it's not as bad as it is here. Like, but that just shows that like, it's a very human to human interaction. Mm-hmm. We don't sign off as thanks or best or cheers or regards. It's yeah. like, have a great Tuesday. You know, it's just a way to kind of feel a little bit more engaged on a one-to-one basis. Mm -hmm. And what that's allowed us to do is to create a pretty engaged community of a few thousand guys on on email, customers on email that we tap into for early access, for product development pipeline, for potential package redesign, anything that we could think of as being like a pretty thoughtful um, and important decision. We go leverage the perspectives of a few thousand folks who have chose to partner with Huron with their wallet. So tapping into those insights has been hugely impactful as we kind of think about this broader community build. I love that. Yeah, when I've heard people talking about doing things that don't scale, I haven't actually heard of them setting up methodologies around it so far. It's kind of like, oh, randomly pick, you know, a couple of people here and then like creep on them, maybe see what, you know, maybe I could send to them to make it very personal. But I like the approach of, you know, if they spend 3X the normal AOV, then let's go after them. Are there any other triggers like that that you guys look for to know like this is someone we want to lean into more? Yeah, I mean there there are a few other triggers that that we have that I won't I won't reveal all the secrets. Just like nine out of ten of them. Come on. Another tactic, for instance, is like we sent out an email to folks in and around Boston on Marathon Monday. Mm-hmm. Like whether you're running, watching, or already at the bar celebrating, like here's like a special offer. And I like the response rate from that was awesome because it's like wow, like these folks know that I actually live in Boston. And like mm-hmm. I may actually be running. Like that's kind of cool. Yeah. You probably smell afterwards. You need something. Here you go. Exactly. <laughs> Turns out you actually need this product. Yeah. I just think that historically the world of CX has been mislabeled as something that's very reactive, mm-hmm. but I think CX can be very proactive as well, which is, Hey, if there's an issue with FedEx proactively reaching out to that customer to let him or her know, mm-hmm. um, if they've spent, you know, a shockingly high amount as their first order, reach out to them and tell them that you care. And you saw that you're super excited to have them on board. Mm-hmm. The little things like that, that uh, I think are a bit atypical, I would say in the CX side, we really try to lean into. Yep. And that's how we kind of view this whole world as quote unquote, do things that don't scale. Yeah. I love that. It brings up um, a couch. Once again, I feel like I've been ordering couches for like two years now and they just are forever delayed. And I was ordering a new one and it's been about six months. And I'm like, it's already delayed. If I have to get to the point where I'm asking where it is, there's already a problem. Like you should have already updated me right away instead of kind of forcing like, oh, okay, here's two solutions. And I'm like, I don't like either of those. Now I'm even more mad. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a good point to kind of like, you know, communicate a lot early, often be very transparent because I would have been way happier if I just knew the date before I actually had to think about it on my own and felt like, am I getting tricked here? What's happening? hundred <laughs> percent. And, and kind of along those lines, when we thought about kind of building and crafting the team, actually our first hire was someone that was in charge of retention marketing mm-hmm. and CX. 
So it's a really unique position, actually, you know, not too dissimilar from kind of the, the seat that Eli sits in mm-hmm. from Olipop, but, and, and we're close brand friends with, with Eli and what he's doing is amazing, but thinking about what happens after the finish line and actually prioritizing that in terms of brand infrastructure build yeah. versus just immediately spending money to turn on the growth spigot. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of issues on the back end that you weren't prepared to tackle. Mm-hmm. It's how can you actually roll out the red carpet to people who have chosen to I said earlier, join the brand by, you know, by voting with their wallet and make sure that they're having a 12 out of 10 experience. Mm-hmm. So thinking about kind of that construction post finish line and actually prioritizing that first and then working backwards once you feel like that foundation is set. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. So I can tell your friends, Eli, because he said something very similar. He felt like that was one of the biggest missed moments after a purchase was not sending them anywhere, not giving them any information, not having other ways to interact. What do you all do after purchase to kind of keep someone engaged and give them, you know, even more value, even after they already bought something? I mean, we have a series of kind of onboarding flows. Uh, Some of our products require a little bit more education. So we kind of think about ways we can set up those new customers for success or Mm -hmm. those new products for success. Uh, And I think that's been very, very helpful and well-received. I mean, it's very easy to sit back and pull a report from Clavio and say, oh, this email is garbage because it, you know, it didn't meet our conversion rate metrics. Mm -hmm. But thinking like further up the funnel, like, well, what was the open rate? What was kind of the click rate? Like, are people actually engaging with this email? If people are opening it, like they may actually be really appreciating it, but maybe they're just not buying. Mm -hmm. And I think like those moments where not every form of messaging has to be geared towards ringing the cash register mm-hmm. is something that we're focused on. And that's kind of like the longer term customer build that we're, we're gearing towards. Okay. Well, which products of yours require education? Because I'm thinking they're all the ones in my shower. I'm like, okay, shampoo, got it. Face wash, got it. Body wash, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, who needs help here? <laughs> one in particular would be our eye stick. Oh, okay. I don't know if we had got that one. I think it's like a little bit more of a novel product. So understand okay. like, you know, what's the best way to use this product and when should you start to see results and just kind of Again, like setting these products up for success a little bit. Got it. Okay. Um, even tips like the body wash, for instance, like it's pretty concentrated, as yeah. you know, so like you don't need a ton of it. Yep. And even the messaging on the bottle around kind of quarter size and lather, like the rationale behind that was to say like, stop wasting money on like literally pouring out the entire bottle every mm-hmm. fourth shower. Yep. You just don't need a lot of it. And this should last you 60 days. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of gets the wheel spinning around. We're kind of going through this journey together, mm-hmm. you know, Huron and you our goal is to help you help yourself. Yep. So like, what can we do to kind of further build that partnership as you continue on your personal care journey? Yeah. I love that. Cause I feel like there's been a lot of trust that was kind of lost in this industry, you know, whether it's around razors and hearing the stories of like, Oh, they're showing you putting it in the shower because they know that that like degrades the razor and then you have to get a new one or like, you know, conditioners or even shampooing. Like you probably don't need to do it every single day. Maybe it's better not to. And at least for women, we all know the secrets and we're like, you can't trick us. So I love that, you know, you're kind of going about it. Like, let me start from a trust, you know, perspective of like, I'm going to give you all the information. You can do what you want, but like, you don't need to waste things in the process. Exactly. That's great. Exactly. So I want to jump back into, you were mentioning kind of local advertising efforts before, which I feel like is a really big missed opportunity for a lot of new D2C companies popping up who kind of focus on a lot of the normal 
ways of advertising. How are you guys thinking about this local targeting and, you know, going after people who just ran marathons and whatnot? Yeah. I, you know, admittedly, it's it's somewhat of a new initiative for mm-hmm. us, but we've seen pretty strong, um, you know, ROI metrics off of, yep. off of those, uh, which is really, really enticing and exciting. You know, I think we're, we're still kind of fighting the same fight that a lot of DTC brands are uh, advertising through traditional mediums. So Facebook, Google, other paid social platforms. Uh, we do have an Amazon presence, which okay. I think one thing that's emerged over the past 18 months is Amazon has become the world's most reliable retailer when it comes to shipping, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, th- that partnership and that channel has been really, really great for us. But yeah, you know, I think we'll continue to, to tap into some of these more personalized initiatives whether it's geographically, whether that's psychographics, et cetera, you know, maybe it's, Hey, you've purchased the body wash four times, but you know, let's send you some sample shampoo on the house because we think you'll love it. Mm -hmm. We've kind of dipped our toes into some of those initiatives, but kind of excited about how we can continue to, uh, to roll out the red carpet to not only new customers, but existing customers as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many opportunities. I mean, I just think about the sponsors and partners we work with. I mean, obviously very big companies, but they have these abilities to, have very like micro targeting when it comes to local things. And you just see these crazy results. And I've started to think of like, okay, how can these brands get access to this too? And be able to, you know, adjust messaging like that based off of a local parade that's going on because the conversion rates are probably way better than, you know, just a normal ad that you're competing against everyone on. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think, you know, for us, whether it's some of the more hyper, hyper local targeting efforts on, on email or even in-person events, mm-hmm. you know, we started to, to get back into that scene a little bit, whether it's kind of in the fitness scene or, or elsewhere, but just leveraging products and samples to really introduce people to the brand and actually get to know customers on a one-to-one basis, kind of IRL, which obviously kind of the world pushed paused on for 16-ish months. Um, it's been fun to kind of meet folks uh, in person to talk about the brand, to talk about the product, and then have them try some on the spot. Yeah. Well, how are y'all thinking about partnerships? Because I'm imagining like all these angles of like, okay, you partner with these gyms and you're automatically in front of men who probably, you know, wouldn't even be thinking about, you know, bringing something good to the gym. Like, how are you guys exploring that right now? Yeah, I think that's one avenue for us that uh, we're really excited about kind of turning the dial up on, um, not just gyms in general, but partnerships. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're a team of four today, so we're, wow. we're pretty... You guys seem like you have a bigger team just based on your presence. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's a team of four. We haven't hired anyone in a year. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a focus of ours into 2022, which is how can we make sure the right folks are in the right chairs to help kind of grow and, and steer the ship a bit. And I think bringing someone on the marketing front will really help us not only unlock some of those opportunities by just adding to the roster, mm-hmm. but also around strategizing around, okay, let's let's be very thoughtful and intentional about how we're testing this particular initiative and then report back 30 days and say, you know, what were the KPIs? What were the measurements? Then make a kill or invest in decision around this is worthy of our time, effort, energy, and dollar. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, steadily growing out the team, I think will allow us to tackle a lot more of those opportunities where right now we're a little resource constrained. Yeah, I would say I really, I still am kind of mind blown that you only have four people for what you guys are doing. I mean, when it comes to even developing new products and all that, I mean, how are, how do you even do that with just four people? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, good question. So my co-founder, Matt, has basically spent the entirety of his career building amazing products. So he used to be the VP of corporate innovation and global product development at Estee Lauder. Mm-hmm. So he built the entire men's Tom Ford line. He's developing for lab series. And he has, you know, he has an unbelievable sense for what is a great product. What is a great fragrance? 
And we've been able to work with kind of the best in class contract manufacturers because of his background, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And that's been a huge unlock for us to, you know, to have the right discussions, to be speaking directly with the chemists, et cetera, because like that is his level of understanding of the space. And I think that allows us to really create a really strong pipeline of great product. But yeah, I mean, in addition to that, I mean, we're constantly talking about packaging. We kind of split the packaging piece. You know, our first employee, Johnny, runs everything kind of retention, CX, web, partnerships. Uh, and then Annie, um, who we hired kind of in the thick of thick of the pandemic in 2020. I mean, she does everything, social, uh, ambassador, partnership, content creation. I mean, we're tackling a lot with a, with a few. Yep. Um, so it'll be, it'll be good to, uh, to add some folks to the team. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I've also kind of heard the same theme these past couple of interviews I've been doing over the past week or two around, you know, having someone who has either yourself or have, hiring someone who has industry experience that can kind of fill a big void and accelerate you past the point that you could have done on your own. And even if that means, you know, being an entrepreneur within an organization, because you're like, I know I want to get into this industry, but, you know, I don't have these skill sets yet. Like, why not work at a larger company or partner with someone who's already done that? Because it just seems a way faster strategy to be able to grow a company than, you know, starting at square one these days. hundred percent. And instead, just like slightly differently, like you have to look internally and figure out like what your cheat codes are, right? Like mm -hmm. some brands it's maybe it's influencer backed or that person is a part of the co-founding team and they have a million followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like that's a pretty good leg up, yeah. right? Because you don't have to do a lot of the audience creation. I think for us, obviously like partnering with Matt early on, I mean, he is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to anything, personal care, grooming, skincare related, especially in the men's category. Mm -hmm. So it's just been huge for us to figure out, you know, it is an art and a science in terms of like, you know, we'll pull our community and understand the products that they would like to see from us. And then he can internalize, like, I think we should prioritize this versus that this will take longer. But I also think like this subset of products that weren't even offered up would be phenomenal for our baby. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a little push pull on that front, but I think once we get products into people's hands more often than not, they're pretty blown away around the product quality and kind of the, the caliber of products that we're putting out into the market. Yeah. Are there any crazy requests from your customers? Tell me some, what are the best ones? Well, that's a tough one. Cause that, that really does kind of double click into some secrets, but um, I mean, we, <laughs> we, get, we get requests for everything. Um, mm -hmm. There are products that are kind of more, that's the word I'm looking for. Kind of like not entry level, but kind of entry level. It's like, Hey, mm -hmm. we really like your fragrance scent. Like it would be great if you made this product. Okay. But at the same time, you know, that there, there are one-offs that are, that are very compelling and very interesting, but those oftentimes revolve around problem solution. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Hey, like I've struggled with this, or I've battled with that. Like, could there be a product that tackles this? Mm -hmm. And I think when we kind of riff through like product pipeline planning, kind of thinking about like how big is the market for some of these different product lines is it's a fun, it's a fun exercise. Yeah. It's definitely a challenge because product development isn't something that takes two weeks, right? This yeah. could be a nine to 24 month exercise. So you really have to have a pretty strong degree of conviction that whatever you're creating, like there is certainly a market for, mm -hmm. but it's fun to tap into the audience and kind of understand not only what products would you want to see or expect to see from us, but like what would be like a nice to have. Yeah. How many of your products right now are maybe influenced from your current customers and how many are just like a Matt and Matt decision, Matt squared? You know, I think what we have in the market today and, you know, we're launching a few new products. So it's a, it's a new scent, which is, you know, for the most part today, we've been kind of mono scent profile, which means kind of a similar scent kind of mm -hmm. flows through the entire assortment. 
but we're coming out with a more woody kind of cedarwood, sandalwood, amber. I mean, it smells amazing. Yeah. I like that smell. Where's your women's line? I'll just keep using the men's stuff. <laughs> and honestly, the feedback that we've gotten today was it actually smells a little bit more gender neutral, Yeah, which has been amazing because for this launch in particular, I've actually worked with a few female influencers mm-hmm. and the, the feedback there has been amazing. So yeah. I'm pretty excited about this. So kind of aside from like, you know, supplementing the existing assortment with some kind of like products that would make sense, uh, no pun intended. Um, I like that. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it's just like a dad joke thing. I feel like I could go on forever. Oh, I love dad jokes. So keep them coming. Yeah. There are, I mean, there are consistent themes that we would love to tap into, mm-hmm. um, especially on the problem solution side that, you know, but like the eye stick was something that was like, you guys need to do something to help combat anti-aging mm-hmm. Yeah, because whether it's eye bags, whether it's thinning hair mm-hmm. for a lot of guys, it's like, you don't start to address it until it's too late. Yeah. I feel like kind of that taboo is the bar is slowly coming down, which is I can proactively take care of this now. Mm-hmm. Like I think over the past 24 to 36 months, it's become more trendy to use Hims Keeps Roman yep. as like preventative maintenance for losing your hair, because that's like yep. something that most guys are like wildly fearful of. Right. Yeah. But I think what they're doing is is awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and it's definitely more of a, a problem solution type full-on attack. Yeah. You know, our our thesis is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but three great, amazing companies that have certainly scaled rather quickly, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive given they're kind of like the only three companies in the category. Yeah. So just a signal that the, you know, the the want and the desire of those products is extremely high. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's nice though with your product is that like with with others, it seems like it's more kind of like buying behind the scenes, not really wanting, it's still not really wanting to talk about, it, even though I know a lot of their brands are like, Hey, we could be open about this. But I feel like you're, with your brand, I mean, it's so easy to connect with and share. And even if you add additional products that maybe haven't always been talked about, I feel like because of where you're starting, it's going to be a very easy place to be, to be able to be kind of like on the front lines of that, where people actually want to share it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think the the thought process in and around the launch assortment was how can you build the best quality basics, mm-hmm. right? Which is the, this, consum- this consumer knows what a body wash is. Yeah. This consumer knows what a face wash is. So how can you make those products a 12 out of 10? And then from there kind of establish that brand presence, but brand trust, yeah. and then slowly start to dip into maybe some of these more esoteric categories. But because you've laid that foundation, mm-hmm. the consumer is kind of saying like, okay, like maybe I wouldn't otherwise be willing to try product X, but I love these other three products yeah. so much. Like I am willing to try that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like the rationale in terms of how we think about assortment expansion and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Get into the harder things down the road after people already love you to death. So it's good. How do you think about Amazon right now? I mean, I know you said that, you know, you realized that was basically the best shipping and kind of like retail partner over the past year or so. Like, how do you view having people buy on there versus going straight to your website and, you know, getting that first party data? Sure. I mean, I think in a perfect world, we'd love to have 100% of our traffic flowing through yeah. our site, <laughs> yes. as would any brand. But, you know, we're also hip to the tune that the consumer journey differs for literally every single customer, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you may get served an Instagram ad then quickly Google the company, then go to our website, then go back to Google and see we sell on Amazon. And then the next time you buy something on Amazon, you add a body wash to cart, right? So it's just, there's so many different iterations of how customers shop from, from us. And, you know, for our category, which, you know, is a commodity by and large, like it just makes sense for us to be on that platform. Mm-hmm. If you're buying hand soap and dish detergent and whatnot, like 
to be like, oh, I'm actually out of shampoo. Like, let me quickly add that to cart. Mm-hmm. Like that is a missed opportunity if we're not there. So I think for us, it's a bet that we've been excited about really since March of 2020, when we launched on Amazon and we've just seen tremendous growth on that channel. And I think for us, what's been really encouraging as, you know, as the, the Facebook ecosystem continues to face um, some headwinds and a lot of brands have experienced mm-hmm. some hiccups, you know, Amazon for us has been a channel that we've been continuing to scale and grow at an incredibly efficient rate. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to kind of reallocate spend into that channel, but still see tremendous results. Well, how do you, like, how do you get ahead of the competition on here? I'm like looking at men's body wash and it's like the CVS style things that are like, first that are popping up where I'm like, no, no, no. How do you yeah. get ahead of some of these and actually start showing up, you know, here? So it's uh, it's certainly an expensive category, right? It's not cheap to get on men's body wash or body wash in general. I think what we've seen though is, you know, we, we've scaled the platform tremendously over the course of 2020 with almost no attention. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that's kind of propelled our positioning within and our organic search rank within Amazon is just really positive reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that channel in particular is one that evaluates things in a very zero to one type mentality. It's like, it's either a good product or it's not, Mm -hmm. it's very cut and dry. Like the brand doesn't really play as much of a factor as just pure play product assessment. And I think when it comes to that level of of evaluation, I feel really good about our product line. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been able to grow with, with positive reviews and obviously leveraging, you know, uh, social proof in the form of reviews and, PR hits to then obviously push people to Amazon as well. If that's their preferred channel. Yeah. Great. So where are you hoping to be maybe in the next two to three years? Like where, will, what will Huron look like? How many products are you going to have? What will you be feeling like? I don't even know what's going to happen two or three days from now. Um, <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, uh, you know, I've been really, really excited about the growth that we've had over the course of the year. Again, kind of with the same crew around the table, I think bringing some smart folks uh, on board and certain areas and chairs that we need to fill Mm -hmm. will just continue to unlock a tremendous amount of value for us. We will continue to release product, but we're pretty maniacal around not having an assortment that blows out of proportion that becomes unmanageable. So for us, we're constantly looking at what's selling, but also what's not selling and what can we do to kind of cattle prod these products to get going a little bit, or is this just fundamentally a product that doesn't resonate with our base? Mm -hmm. So we're internalizing all that data all the time. Um, so we're definitely kind of aware and conscious of skew proliferation, but there is a lot of new products that we're really, really excited about. So continue to build the brand and build the team out and then, and then launching new products that we feel like our base would really, really, uh, respond well to. Yeah. I love that. Excited to watch where you all go and where you end up. All right. Let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning rounds brought to you by Salesforce commerce cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have one minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Matt? I hope so. Okay. What's one thing you don't understand today, but you wish you did? I would honestly say the rationale behind successful content. Yeah. The thought there is we put a ton of stuff into the ether and you can have a very low degree of confidence and something will work and it'll absolutely crush it. And the same is true, vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And I wish probably like every other founder, wish you had a better finger on the pulse as to the why. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels... uh... Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand that one either. Cause sometimes I see things. I'm like, this is so clickbaity. Why do people love this? And then other things that are really good. I'm like, why is this not shared? So that's a good, that's a good answer. What's the best piece of business advice you've heard throughout your life? Probably have two. So one is take care of the little things and the big things will take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. 
I think making sure that we can stay really focused in and around what our mission is and to whom we're fighting for and why we're creating these products and being thoughtful around the KPIs we're hitting or not hitting, uh, how can we get there and just acting quickly, I think for me is super, super important. And then I have a business mentor, professional mentor, who is a former kind of higher up in the SEALs and his famous mantra is never pick a fair fight. Mm-hmm. He was like, why are the SEALs successful? Is because they went out on missions at 3.30 in the morning when everyone was sleeping, yep. right? So how I internalize that and into the much less important business world is just really thinking about like, what are opportunities that are pretty special for Huron and how can we leverage those in and across a category that is certainly growing in terms of attention, but also in terms of competition and folks entering the space. So just being really thoughtful and intentional about how we're kind of crafting our strategy going forward. Mm, That's good. Yeah. It can be so easy to kind of get distracted and see lots of opportunities everywhere and jump at them and not stay focused of like, where are my, you know, advantages that right now that many don't have. Yes, correct. That's a good one. What's up next on your reading list? So I just start, I just started empire of pain, which is about the sack family. I mean, I'm from Southwest Ohio, like this crisis has plagued that region of the country for decades. Um, And it's just, I'm I'm literally on page 20 and I've been like upset, very angry, like multiple times. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how this book goes. Might get thrown a few times, but uh, we'll see. But I've heard good things. Oh man. Okay. I need to look this up. I have never heard of this book. Wow. Lots of good ratings on Goodreads though. Okay. What is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? I guess when I was thinking about going to college, I mean, I was able to have the opportunity to attend an Ivy League school to play to play football. And that was a lot of pressure and support mm-hmm. um, coming from my, well, pressure and and kind of tough times for my parents, um, just being able to afford how we're going to afford this. And I think that opportunity was never really lost on me. I think it was the first time I've ever seen my dad cry. But just knowing like what they went through, he never had the opportunity to go to college um, and just being reminded of like how lucky and fortunate I am. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, like that just opened up so many doors for me and something I'm forever, forever grateful for. I love that. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah. Very glad that Eli brought us or brought you our way. So thank you. Um, where can people find out more about you and Huron? Yeah. So all the Huron handles are just at use Huron across Instagram, Twitter, all the fun stuff. And then um, at Matt Mullinax, or if you have any questions, just shoot me a note, Matt at useheron.com. You know, so many people have been so generous with their time and me berating them with questions that I'm a big believer in kind of paying it forward. So don't hesitate to reach out with, uh, with anything. Love that. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnext in commerce. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Upnext in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.